0: Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. My name is Stephanie, and I'm a recovered alcoholic on staff at the Magdalene House. Each week, I have the pleasure of conducting a live interview with an alcoholic woman in recovery for the participants who are currently in our Next Step program. Whether you're in recovery yourself, contemplating giving it a try, or just supporting someone who is—we are so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. podcast listeners and Next Up participants. My name is Stephanie Crawford, and I am the program manager here at Next Up, as well as the host for this amazing podcast series, Recovered Interviews with Alcoholic Women. And is one of my favorite things about my job is getting to talk to. You really strong women that I look up to and getting to know just their stories and their insight and it's just been such a blessing in my life. It's even more fun when I get to have one of my best friends on. So today we're gonna be interviewing Lauren M, who is just such a bright spot in my life. She has become such a good friend of mine, especially over the last year. I mean, she's picked me up from the hospital more times and i think anybody should um if you want to know why i'll tell you later but i know she's always always there for me and that's just the type of person she is as well as being so much fun and having such a reliance on god so anyways i'm going to let oh real quick if any of you listeners like what you are hearing at any time please uh, screenshot this episode, upload it to your Instagram story. Let us know what takeaways um, you have had or you're getting and you can tag the Magdalen House and let us know. Please also like, rate, subscribe, review and share. Uh, it really does help us help more alcoholic women, which is what our mission ultimately is. So without further ado, Lauren, if you could just introduce yourself to us, give us some background and and what led you to get sober.
1: Sure. Well, first off, thank you for having me here, Maggie's. Um, It's an honor to be here. Um, My name's Lauren and I'm an alcoholic. Hello. So what got me? Oh man. um, It started a while ago when I was a child, I knew, I think like most of you have felt like just different Um, growing up I felt like I didn't belong I felt like I wasn't loved even though that wasn't like the situation I felt like I wasn't loved and I just didn't belong anywhere and there was always this like what I know now is the um, spiritual malady restless irritable discontent back then I couldn't put words to it but as a child I was like stealing I was overeating I was doing anything I could to change the way that I felt Um, I was getting into fights. I remember um, taking NyQuil one time when I was um, around like nine years old and I liked the way that felt. So I was like, I'm going to take more NyQuil. And I had no idea like that it had alcohol in it, but like I wanted to change the way that I felt. Um, So like the first time I actually drank alcohol, like intentionally, not like a sip here or sip there was um, when I was 13 or 14, I was at this Halloween party and I drank Taka and it was, oh, it was pretty rough. But I remember I didn't feel the effects right away. I mean, normal, like you don't feel drunk right away, but I knew whatever was going to be in there was going to help me feel better. And I just drank and drank and drank. And I was like 14 and I was wearing this, I was dressed up as like the queen of hearts. And it was Halloween. And I was like, Oh, I'm so cool. And I like met these kids off my space. And I'm like, this is gonna be fun. And I'm like drinking with these people I don't know. um, And then I start falling down and like, because I'm getting drunk. um, And I these people that don't know me are like, you need to like to hold back like, they took the bottle of taco away from me. And I remember being like, no, I need that. Like, and I was, um, they were all sitting around in a circle and I was like climbing over one of the people. I was like, give me that bottle. And like, it's embarrassing to talk about. I sound like an animal. Um, but like at 14 years old, someone takes a bottle away from me and I'm like, no, I need that. And it was, it was pretty wild experience. And from then on, like, it, it just progressively got worse. Um, and I became more and more aware of how much I felt like I needed it um, to be okay. Um, by the time I was um, 17, I had uh, my own personal bar in my closet. I had whatever I wanted in there. Mostly it was specter cause it was pretty cheap. Um, and then whatever. And then I went to treatment for the first time when I was, when I was 17. And I did not want to get sober um that time. I had tried to this whole time, you know, like I felt um restless, irritable discontent. I just felt like all of these like uncomfortable emotions. And at this point, when I was 17 years old, right before I went to treatment for the first time, um I tried to end my life. I tried to commit suicide um because like whatever was going on inside me was just too much. And I didn't know how to handle it anymore. And I couldn't put it into words. And, um, I had gone to one AA meeting, but only because I had a friend that had a charge and she was like, I need to go to this meeting as part of my court or whatever. And I was like, okay, I'll go. I'm open to it. And so I went with her, but like, I had no idea that there was like any sort of solution, um, out there for the way that I was feeling and what I was doing. So my solution was to end my life, um, unsuccessfully, like I, it didn't work, obviously. Um, and, uh, my parents came back into the picture and were like, you need to go get help. So I went to treatment. I left AMA because, you know, they want you to be sober there and they want you to like, you know, do a little bit of growing. And I was like, (laughs) I'm not here for it. I, I didn't know. And I would like make up, even though I had a good amount of experience at this point that said like, okay, maybe you have a little bit of dependency on alcohol to say the least. But I was like telling people, I was like, I never trained. Like I was lying to these people in rehab. And then um, the counselors, too. was like, I never, I don't know why I'm here, but like, why would I need to lie if I really didn't have a problem? Um, so I left AMA and just picked up right back where I left off drinking. Um, and then I got into this relationship with this guy and then, um, it ended up being like, like most women relationship issues, um, problems or like dependencies or whatever. Um, so there's this guy I was dating after I got out of rehab and he was like, well, you're either going to move with me to a different city or we're gonna break up, and I was like, we can't break up. So I'm gonna. Mo- I moved with him to this different city. Did not go well. Um, he saw how bad my drinking was, um, day and night. Like, and he wasn't like that. Um, I mean, he had his own things, outside issues, but it, it didn't run his life the way that like he saw it run my life. Um, so he ended up kicking me to the curb. Um, so I was homeless in this new city for a while and being homeless. was like, at that point being drunk and like doing other like outside issue, all of that stuff. I thought like sometimes around the way that they say like, Oh, we like to change our, what is it? We like to change our expectations to meet our goals, but I changed my goals not expectation. I I lowered my goals so I could, I was like, what this, what I'm doing right now, like being homeless, like panhandling, hand doing what I need to do to survive, just living day by day, bottle by bottle. Like that's what my life is now. Um, and all of these dreams that I had, all of these goals that I had of like going to school, being something, doing something, um, I erased all of that. I was like, And it's not because I didn't want to do those things. Um, I really wanted to. I've always been headstrong. I've always been like super like willful when it comes to doing what I want to do. Unfortunately, also in this area, I had a lack of power. So with that, I thought I was making the choice to forego my future plans and turn to this lifestyle. But really, like I was sick and I had this disease that was leading me down this dark path. And while I thought mentally that I was making this choice, like, no, I was overcome by a mental obsession and a physical allergy that was beyond my control whatsoever. So after, and I never believed in God up until when I was homeless this time, I remember looking outside. It was was, that those times where you like look in the mirror and you don't even like recognize yourself. And I remember I was like, God, if if you're real, if you're out there, like show me that there's something else. And it wasn't that anything was shown, but I had a feeling, I had a feeling of hope, um, which is something I hadn't felt maybe all my life at that point. So I, I was like, maybe there is a way to get out of this. And I believe that God had sh- like, um, given me that feeling. Um, so I, I called my mom. Um, I was like, Hey, you know, that treatment center that you sent me to last year, like, can I go back? And they're like, you messed that up. Like you left AMA, like what's going to be different this time. And I was like, I really want it. I want it so bad. Like I will do whatever it takes. I'm tired of lying. I'm tired of living where I'm living. Um, and so they're like, okay. Um, my mom drove, overnight to um because my dad my dad's not an alcoholic or anything but he i have really good parents and they like really care about me my dad like was reading the big book during this time because he just wanted to understand what was going on with me and he would talk to some of his friends who had alcoholic children and my mom was like okay if you want to go to treatment we'll get you there in the next couple of days and she told me um, when she picked me up she's like your dad told me to come now because she Um, He thought maybe if we waited even just like a day more that you would change your mind. And I was like, that is crazy how my dad would know that. But come to find out, he was like trying to support me in any way he could by like reading about, which I'm super lucky and blessed. And, you know, not a lot of people um, have that. So I definitely don't take that for granted. So I go to treatment the second time, fully wanting to get sober. Um, And then two months in, I haven't um, I work a 12-step program now. That's how I've gotten free from this mental obsession, like the physical allergy, all of that, um, the spirituality that comes up, I work a 12-step program and that relieves it. Um, so when I was in, um, the streaming center at, um, 60 days, I started to feel the things I started to feel, um, I was like, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, I was 18 or 19 at this point. I was like, I'm too young. Like I was just having fun. I started telling myself these things. I was like, you know what? The hard liquor was the problem. You can stick to beer. Like that's fine. Or whatever it was that I was telling myself. And I was like, you know what? You're, you're too young. Um, it was just a phase. Like you were just hanging out with the wrong people. If you just like, work out more. If you just, um, join a social club, if you just do whatever, like, it'll be different. Um, and like, while I'm thinking these things, I buy the lie that like, I don't actually have a problem at this point. When, when I checked into rehab, I was like, Oh my gosh, like I a hundred percent have a problem. I need to get sober. So like 60 days in, like I'm telling myself this, and then I end up relapsing in treatment. And then they, they're like, just go. Um, they they asked me about it. They were um they're like, we know that you you did something. And I was like, no, 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 no. But they knew I did. And I, I still don't know how they knew, but they were like, we're just gonna let you go. Like, we know that you did, but you keep lying to us, so just go. I end up going to this um sober living and there I get introduced to the 12 step program. Um, and then there is where I like find an actual Solution. It was amazing. I felt like that little piece of God that I had a year and a half ago, I could actually feel some more access to that and like how to gain access to that. And I had a good amount of like sobriety at that compared to like (laughs) uh, 15 years of, you know, under the influence. Like um, at this point, at at this point, I was like, that I could feel some freedom, um, some happiness. And I was like surrounded by a fellowship that um, was supportive. So, but then again, there's some requirements that come with um, working the 12 steps. And like some of them are like, continue to seek um, and understand this higher power. And I didn't continue to seek. Um, I also there's, like, rigorous honesty, Um, and I wasn't rigorously honest, Um, so there was these few requirements that were, I thought were no big deal, but, you know, they're pretty big deal, and I slacked off on some of those, and I started to lose one by one, like, the promises that um, the book talks about, so I ended up going back out, and from there, it was just in and out, in and out, and I had my um, fight with, like, well, if God is real, like, why did he let me relapse? Um, if God, um, is truly like loving, all loving, like why would he forsake me? Which like, I know now is not true. Um, I, I believe that God's hand is always out and it's up to me to reach it, but I was choosing not to reach it at this point, And I went to some really dark places. Um, and so for the next 10 years in and out, in and out, like thinking this time's going to be different and then it wasn't different this time can be different and then I just started um I started to give give up I was like what's the point of fighting anymore like there wasn't really anything left for me to fight for so this last time I went to I gave up on treatment um I've been in and out I've been to like 27 different places and that this last time I was like I don't believe in treatment. I don't think like <laughs> the big book's free. And then why would I spend my like, <laughs> anyway, that's a whole different, um, discussion, but I was like, I need separation. Cause anytime, um, I would like try to get sober on my own, then I would end up going right back. Um, so I was like, what I, I need is separation. And that was probably the, that was a, a God thought. Um, cause that wasn't me that thought that. So by the grace of God, I went to this place um, for a year and I was separated and it was not easy. Um, I left once, tried to leave a couple more times, but they understood my insidious alcoholism. And um, so I ended up getting some, some time separated. And with that, I could get some freedom, the freedom that I've gotten through the 12 steps and how I continue to have that freedom today is by continuing to work those. So I don't know how much I'm supposed to share, but um. No, that was, was that good. Okay, yeah.
0: yeah. Cool. You know, like one. And I forgot to tell you too. Like we too much. Huh? Out, so you know, it's totally fine. But um, whenever you were talking, I was thinking, and I don't even know if you remember this conversation or not. But we were we were driving in your car no, it was my car. And we were going to that pool party thing. And Isaac had, it was my son's father who has now passed away, you know, had had relapsed. And I was just, you know, going off on a tangent, complaining about everything he's doing. I was like, he freaking knows what the solution is. So if he wanted to get sober, he could get sober, right? Because he knows what the solution is. And I remember you telling me that, like, like just explaining to me that like, even though you know what the solution is, because you had experience with this, like how hard it is to get back and like how that was, um, I've been really emotional lately. so I might cry. I don't know. But, and how like, that was one of the lies that took you back out was like, oh, I know what the solution is. So I'll just go back when it gets really bad. And then how hard it was for you to get back. Yeah, um, do you mind just briefly touching on that, like how it is to have like this freedom and this solution and then to be in in active addiction and active alcoholism and want to get back so bad but not being able to. do you know what I'm asking?. Oh yeah, I remember
1: that. Um, and it's not fun at all. Um, I don't know what I was gonna say with that. Um, so I had two years sober at this point. And I had, you know, there's a part in the big book that talks about um, on page 53, that God is either everything or else he is nothing. Um, And I've always had a problem with that. And um, having a problem with that is in, I didn't believe that God was everything. Um, So that was just me running on self-will still. And so I had two years sober at this point, I don't know how, and I felt like a complete fraud. Um, I wasn't living clean. Um, maybe I wasn't drinking and putting stuff into substance into my body. The only thing that was different was I wasn't putting in my body, but I was still living dirty. And so I had like, just picked up my two year chip and I was felt a lot of shame around that. And, um, really did not want to go up there at all. Cause there was something in me that was like, this just feels wrong. If anyone knows how I'm actually living out there and not just how I put my face on in the meeting, like, I don't want them to think that this is how, being sober looks, not that I have that much power. Um, but you know, I'm egotistical and self-centered. Um, so, um, pick up my tear chip. And then I remember thinking, I was like, you know, I'm just going to go out for a weekend. Like I'm having so much spear mouth. Um, I'm feeling um, some feelings that are not comfortable. It really, I was like, when I'm here, I want to be there. When I'm with this person, I want to be with this person. When I'm getting this, it's not enough. Um, whatever it was, it was just, I could not stand it. So I was like, I'm just going to drink. And then I'll come back. It was like a Friday night. And I was like, I'll come back on Monday. Cause I know where the, the meetings are. I know where the solution is I can call up a sponsor. I can whatever. Cause I've been doing this at that point. I was doing it for like eight years. So I was like, I know how to get back. Dude, like I put it in my body. And you know, um, I think Maggie's does a really good job talking about the physical allergy and the mental obsession. So that physical allergy, one, I bought the mental obsession of like it, it'll be okay. It'll be different. It won't be bad. I'll just go out there, try it not try it, but like do it and then come back soon. And then once that physical allergy was set off, I couldn't come back for the next year. Um, I thought it was just going to be a couple of days, but for the next year I kept coming into meetings. I had this one sponsor who's amazing. I think she sponsored Stephanie at one point in time. I would call her and I'm like, Hey, I'm ready to get sober now. And then she'd be like, come to my meeting. Let's meet. And then I would either be inebriated while meeting with her or, um, like, about, like, meet with her and be, like, okay, I'm done, like, we're not gonna do this anymore, I'm gonna be sober, and then as soon as I leave the meeting, like, going and getting messed up, so that's what it looked like for the next year, and it didn't stop there, there was, like, and then I, like, checked myself in somewhere a year after that, and then still couldn't stay sober, and then I went to long-term treatment.
0: Yeah, I just remember so much, like, how much that conversation and like you sharing your experience with me just kind of like melted away like some of the iciness on my iciness, I don't know if that's a word, on my heart. Um, and how like I was able to have compassion for him in a different way that I didn't have before. And you've always been that type of person for me. Like I think it's because you have such experience with like a chronic being a chronic relapser and like you understand powerlessness so much more than some, one of like, more than any people I know at some time. And and like, and I don't know. So it was just really your, your compassion in the way that, you know, you view other addicts and alcoholics. And you've always been able to talk to me about that whenever I was having problems with Isaac, because I like could not look at him with compassion because I was so angry. And you would always say things to me that would bring me back to that he was just still another suffering addict and alcoholic, you know? And so I just appreciate you much for that.
1: But I also love Isaac too.
0: So it's yeah. not hard. That's true. That is very true. I think you were friends with him before you were friends with me. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that brings me to one of the other things that I wanted to talk to you about too, because Gijo. For people who don't know who Gijo is, Gijo and Lauren dated for a very long time. And him and Isaac were really good friends at one point. And, um, and I know that you were deeply in love with Gerardo and you loved Gerardo very, very much. But like you had to make a very, very hard decision to leave that relationship. And it's just such a demonstration for me of someone who is willing to go to any lengths. Because I feel like that is such a hard thing to do. And so, and it's also such a selfless thing to do, I think. So, do you mind sharing about your experience with that relationship and all of that stuff too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So,
1: um, I met this guy um in the meetings the perfect place to meet your forever partner <laughs> in the meetings um so i met him in 2012 2013 and we didn't start dating until 2014 immediately after we started dating um we were both sober but immediately after we started dating um i think we we both got messed up together and then um, we both got back in um, to the swing of things, like sobriety, and we are like, we're going to make this work. it was like all the combinations of like disaster. And I had a sponsor that was like, you need to leave this guy if you want to be sober. And she kept saying that. And I was like, I know I'm not going to leave him. She's like, if you're willing to um do whatever it takes to get sober, like you'll leave him. And at that point I did not hear. And I was like, you don't need to tell me um that leaving him is part of you know being going being willing to go to any lengths. So needless to say I ended up getting fired by that sponsor. Um and then I got fired by another sponsor for the same thing after that. And so I stayed with him and things started to get better. Like I got another sponsor. Um, and Probably one I don't even remember who I had at this point, but probably one that wasn't holding me as accountable in relationships as they probably should. But so I was with him, and um, we both got a year sober, and then I relapsed, um, and it, it was just it's it's always been like that. And so, long story short, we knew each other, we've been with each other, we're engaged. Um, we were engaged for. He actually proposed to me in 2014, um, but I said no the first time because um, he he wasn't sober. And I was at that point. It's just a whole crazy show. But then eventually we did get engaged. And so I was like, this is the man that I'm going to marry. And I truly loved him. And he was one of those people that like, you kind of know even if it weren't going to work out, even if the relationship part was not going to work out, you would still have them in your life forever. Like he was family to me. Um, and of course, ideally I wanted him to be my partner, my husband, um, father of my children, etc. But if it wasn't going to be that, then like my best friend, he was a hundred percent, my best friend. So Because of like sobriety and relapsing and going back and forth and drinking and not drinking, our relationship was tumultuous. Um, We always knew at the end of the day that we loved each other, but we didn't know what to do with that love. And so towards the end, it was a year before I actually checked into long-term treatment. I was with him um, and the the place that I checked into was just just sober living, but they're like, you can't talk to him. I was like, I I really don't want to listen to that, but I know what it um, feels like. I've been doing that for a while with like the previous sponsors who told me that and I didn't listen and I ended up like getting drunk over it. So I was like, maybe there's something to this. So I listen to them. I was like, I'm not going to talk to him. It was very hard. And I did, um, sneak around and I was dishonest. I talked to him and I met up with him sometimes and, and I didn't stay sober because of the dishonesty, because of the, um, lack of integrity around it. Um, there was a lot of sneakiness and I know that I cannot stay sober, um, living life like that. So this last time when I checked into long-term treatment, like, yes i was confined but there's always a way like you know we're alcohol we're alcoholics we will find a way (laughs) and they're like you can't talk to him and at this point they didn't even need to like really put restraints on me or anything i was just like i want to get sober so bad and it it was painful i thought about him every day still think about him and yeah i didn't talk to him for a whole year
0: Are you an alcoholic woman in recovery seeking connection? Maggie's Women's Group is a fellowship group for women in recovery to build friendships and connect with the community at the Magdalen House. Maggie's Women's Group is open to any alcoholic woman in recovery, not just Maggie's alumna. To find out how to get involved and connect with us on Facebook, please visit magdalenhouseorg slash maggies-womens-group. And
1: then... it it was really hard. And then I got out and, you know, he would, um, sometimes when I was still in treatment, he said one time, like, I'm going to wait for you to, um, until you get out. And I was like, I I can't talk to you. And it was really hard, but like, for those of you who like have any sort of like relationship stuff going on, like I have sponsees right now that like are early in sobriety, but they're already in a relationship or they already have kids with someone. Like, I'm not going to tell them to like leave someone but like the book specifically talks about is this relationship selfish does it match up to your sane and sound have you caused suspicion bitterness jealousy it has a whole it has like 9 11 questions actually so I couldn't could never answer those questions satisfactorily yeah um so I always ended up getting messed up over it so this last time I uh, went into treatment didn't talk to him and I had this fear I was like I really want to at least make it right with him I want to talk to him because I had a feeling because he had always had a problem staying sober just like me and so he ended up passing away in March um, so I didn't talk to him um, in over a year I mean in passing I'd said like hello Um, but I hadn't had an actual conversation with him Um, and he passed in March. Um, and that was the hardest thing that I've gone through in and out of sobriety. And I can tell you, like, it's because of this program, the 12 step program that I'm in, um, the people, the fellowship, Stephanie, like being of service. Um, that's what's kept me around. Oh
0: gosh. I think it's just such a powerful story because I mean, even though, and like I went, I mean, our stories are so similar in this aspect because like, even though like I loved Isaac, like I still loved Isaac, right? Like it did not take away from the fact that I loved him with my whole being. And I feel like it's like the same thing with you and Gerardo, like even though you had to leave that relationship, it did not take away from the fact that you loved him. And so- Mm -hmm you know, like, even though there was some separation there, it definitely does not make the death any easier. Right. Cause I know for me, I had this grandiose idea that I was like, so virtuous and like selfless and I'm like getting out of God's way. Right. Um, look at me, but it was all like, with the expectation that like, God's going to get him well, and then we're going to get back together you know? And so, yeah. So like when that expectation wasn't met, it was like, Whoa, did I actually trust God with this? Or was it, did I actually give him up to God? Or was it like that? I wanted God to do what I wanted to do. Do you, Mm -hmm. do you relate to that? You
1: know? Yeah. Um, I I do, but it's also like kind of, idealistic. Like it's, I don't think it's wrong to want that. Like, okay, I'm going to do me. You're going to do you let's get well. And then we can, I don't think there's anything wrong with
0: that. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> well, so do you mind sharing just about like, cause if there is somebody listening who, you know, and we, and Lorna and I are not telling anybody that they need to leave a relationship. This is just something that we had to do for our own recovery and for their recovery. Cause we also, you know, Lauren also knew that he couldn't stay sober and she couldn't stay sober with them together. Um, so is there anything that you'd want to say if there is somebody who's listening, who is maybe going through something similar where they might know mm-hmm. that they have to leave a relationship in order to be sober?
1: So one of the things that helped me stay away from him because of my undying selfishness and self-centeredness. Um, I can only think of me um without the help of God and those around me. Those times where I wanted to call him, I still have his number memorized. Um, those times where I would have his number dialed up, ready to call or text or whatever. I wasn't thinking of how much I wanted to see him to make me feel better. I was thinking like, what does he need? He needs to get well. He let him get sober. Um, and when I hear those words, let him get well, let him get sober, I'm like, damn, like the, for the past five or six years, um, I couldn't step out of his way so he could get better. I'm not saying that I'm the reason why he couldn't stay sober, but I definitely didn't help. Um, a wise man once said that it's uh, romances and finances that lead us out. Um, so romances um, is one of the leading causes for relapse and um so really when I can't do it for myself and like I I think of the other person I'm like is he going to be okay if I do this
0: probably not so and it's such I think just such a like an act of love you know like thinking of like the other person wants and needs and like if I really did love this person you know how would I show up for them and sometimes that's getting out of the way so they yeah. Find God. It's a
1: hard kind of like mature adult way to love. And I'm not (laughs) used to that. I'm like, I want it now. I know. I need it now. Otherwise, it's never going to
0: happen.
1: It's all about me. Make me feel better. But I was like, this dude has been so close to death so many times. Like, why am I going to risk his life? Because I don't feel good in the moment. So, I mean, for those of you out there that are struggling with relationships, like, Pray about it. Ask God to direct you. And the book says, if you honestly want the right answer, it will come. If you
0: want it. Right. So um,
1: hopefully you're open to that.
0: And I know sometimes I've had to pray to want the right answer, you know, because I'm not writing for the right answer. Oh, yeah. Yet. I know, like, his Dawn, who we both know, would tell me that, like, it's almost impossible for someone to seek and chase after a relationship with god like with everything that they need to do whenever there's somebody right here tangible for them to hold on to and change the way that they feel right now and like mm-hmm. that always like stuck out with me you know mm-hmm. um how many times have you been through the steps
1: oof um let me see maybe if i can count how many four steps i've done I've done probably about 10, 10 to 15 fourth steps.
0: So had they were they all honest and thorough? No. <laughs> um, no, they weren't.
1: They were all like there's a difference between like forgetting. I know some people that like come in, they're like, oh, if I what if I forget something and then I don't stay sober. Uh, But it's like, if you forgot, like, that's fine. Like, alcohol damages our brains. And, like, we can't remember everything right off the bat, especially when we're newly sober. Our brains will recover. But, like, that was part of my fear later on. But, like, intentionally omitting things, like, it comes up. And I'm like, I'm not going to write that. Like, that's the stuff that should be a concern. But this last time I wrote inventory and when I finished my resentment just the resentments alone not the fear and sex conduct just the resentments I cried because I was so exhausted because I had written so much and it, it was a hard process for me um it actually wasn't as hard as step eight and nine because step four it's like I'm facing this piece of paper that's all I'm facing but steps eight and nine I'm facing people um institutions you know and that was a lot scarier but in the book when it says like were we um honest and thorough were we trying to build mortar without sand for the first time this last time I was able to say like yes or no I was able to say no I I (laughs) was I did it thoroughly that's what I'm trying to say um and I could sleep well that night and I didn't have when I did my fifth step I didn't have this uh in the book also, it talks about like, oh, maybe you will have this like experience where you feel closer to God and all of this stuff. I, and like a, some people talk about a white light experience. I did not have that. What I had was exhaustion and I did have some relief though, which was cool. And I felt a little bit clearer, like this pathway to this higher power was clear. So when I start looking at six and seven, um, doing character defects and looking at how I'm showing up in the world. God's able to communicate clear with me. I did experience that. But as far as like immediate relief, no, I didn't feel that until step 10, um, the step 10 promises.
0: I think that's so important to, to talk about too, because not everybody has that amazing experience after a fifth step. I mean, I did, and I'm super grateful for that, but I know that's not everybody's experience. And the truth is, is we face some stuff that's like not—it's like kind of yucky. So I understand why some, like, why somebody would feel like exhaustion or whatever the case may be. You talked about eight and nine being the hardest for you. Do you mind sharing some of your experience around amends? Do you have any specific amends stories you want to share? Anything you want to on that that part? Um, sure.
1: So step eight, writing the list, Um, I, my sponsor gave me direction to write on index cards, um, and then she said, write their name, and then on the top right, write willing or not willing, and then write down your harms, Um, and you're supposed to be exact, like, the exact nature of your wrongs, um, because how would you, like, The way I explain it to like sponsees and how it was explained to me was like, how would you like it if someone comes up to you and they're just like, I'm sorry. (laughs) It's like, okay, sorry for what? Like, it means more when they can actually pinpoint, like, these are the things. It makes me feel validated and heard. Like, okay, if someone's making a mess to me and they're like, I was wrong for da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Instead of just saying, I'm sorry. So when I wrote my index cards, I was very specific and I got some guidance to be even more specific, and it really hit me. um, In the place that I was at, um, they do, um, they kind of, at this one point, they check over your index cards, and I read some of them, and one of these girls that I was in sober living with, I wrote, like, got in trouble with her, like, broke rules with her, but the staff that was reading the index cards knew what actually happened which like that is true but it wasn't that specific and they're like what about the time that you almost killed her um and it wasn't like it was through substances that um i had almost killed her um outside issues and um that was really hard to look at and that's what I mean by like steps eight and nine is like step four and five I'm writing it, talking about it. So I mean, I'm like, actually going to go to this woman and be like, I was wrong for introducing you to something that almost killed you that night. And, um, I don't even know if you're still doing that or, you know, whatever that amends I haven't been able to make yet. I haven't, um, been able to get in contact, um, uh, but other amends that I've done. Um, so I've been in the program for quite some time. Um, with that being said, my, my dad has heard my amends twice before. And so this time when I made an approach, he's like, do we have to do this? <laughs> and I was like, it's up to you. This is for you. If You don't want to do it. You don't, he's like, fine. And so we did it right there. And he didn't look at me the entire time, which is like, we're fine. We're cool. But I think he was just so over it. And he's like, I need the legwork. I'm tired of hearing you talk. So, I mean, I said my piece. I said I was wrong for X, Y, Z. And, you know, even if he didn't show any of that, at least I was able to acknowledge like, hey, I'm not completely self-centered. And like, I can at least acknowledge that, like I've done some things to harm you. Even if he doesn't want to hear it, like, you know, that's that's cool. That's, that's for him. So I've had amends like that where it's like, do we really have to do this? And I've had some, I've reached out to some people and they're like, I don't want to hear from you. The book talks about nine times out of 10, we'll be surprised by how people react to us. There was one that I was um, worried was going to be legal action was going to be taken. And I reached out. I felt kind of crazy about this one because I reached out twice to the actual person and then to the person's son and then through Facebook. And they didn't, and I left voicemails, and like nothing. And I was like, dang, if they answered, like, I mean, I was willing to go to any length. So if they were going to press charges against me, like I was willing to face, um, the consequences of what I had done, But like they didn't answer. So there's all different kinds of amends where you're like, God knows you're willing, like you make the approach. And I think at that point, if I had continued to, at this point, it would be harassing them. (laughs) So, um, yeah, yeah.
0: at some point you got to, yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, God, I'm willing. to you see? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so good. I know like, um, you were, you know, you've been through the steps so many times. And so what I don't want somebody to hear is like, well, Lauren went through the steps so many times and it didn't work. So it must not work. What is the difference? Cause you can quote unquote, like checklist, you know, go through the steps, but like not actually like live the steps, surrender kind of thing.
1: What's
0: different
1: this time? time? So, I used to not like that answer, or I mean, I used to not like that question because I never had an answer for it, and I would get asked that every time I came back into the program. What's different this time? Like, what's different with you this time? (laughs) I did not like it. God gave me a true step one experience, Um, and that was different for everybody. I was at the point where I just kept digging and like. I didn't have any more barriers of like, oh, if I get here, I'll stop. I was like, I hope that stops me. But like nothing stopped me except like God finally gave me a step one experience. And I think that was the true foundation. So I remember I went to Maggie's twice and like back in the day, um, I went to one of Maggie's meetings the other day It was a new meeting with um, Shelly. It was a really good I think it was on step four it was awesome but I remember doing like the foundation one two three one two three and I was like why is it always one two three one two three and then when I finally had this step one experience I was like that's why because it's like we don't like what is my motive to write an honest and thorough fact-facing and fact-searching inventory if I'm not thinking that I'm going to die on the other end of this what is my purpose or what is my incentive to like write in a amends list and actually make amends to these people that I've harmed if I don't think that I'm going to die on the other end of this um it starts to grow into a more altruistic plane after that it's not just like oh I need to do this or I'm going to die like eventually it's like I want to be a better human being to those around me and be a productive human in society but like at the beginning step one I was like when I knew that like it was just not ever going to get any better and I was more afraid of living than dying. I wanted to die and I tried to, I talked about one time trying to end my life, but I tried other times, um, in the more recent past. And I was like, not even God's letting me die. Like I can't even do that. So I was afraid of living the way I was living and God put that on my heart. And I was able to like, finally get the book talks about open-mindedness, willingness, and honesty. And I had just a little smidge of each little one interchangeably, not all three, all at the same time, but when I needed them, they, they were there and I worked each step and I had a whole team of people behind me. And this was my last chance. And like, I, I believe that God really showed up for me and it wasn't just like, because I feel like God showed up for me a bunch of times before, but this time I was open to it. So I think it was just a whole army of, of spiritual angels just like, Lauren, get it, <laughs> do it. And I was open to it this time.
0: I wrote down, one of the things that you said at the very beginning that I just thought was so wonderful is God's hand is always out and it's up to me to reach for it. Um, yes. I think that's kind of, Definitely, what you did this time,
1: for sure. Yeah. Something else that's different because I I worry about the same thing. I don't want if I tell my story, I'm like, well, people are gonna think, oh, well, if you go through the steps, you don't stay sober. That that worries me too. Um. So, what else is different is like the the thoroughness that I've done on my four step the time that I've taken on it, the way that my life. I really live by that God either is everything or else he is nothing because I have outside issues, struggles too, that I want to take in as my own. I want to rule my finances. I want to rule my romances. I want to rule eating. I want to rule whatever. And in the past, I've always been like, I can take care of that. That's fine. But this is like, it's been a struggle and it's been a fight. But at the end, I what's different is that I've let God into every aspect of my life hundred percent and then like of course I get uncomfortable and I'll like not change my mind but I'm like you know I'm gonna take back a little bit and whatever but then I think back to step one and am like you were dying like do you remember that your life is unmanageable you're powerless over alcohol and then I'm like okay I don't want to go back to that so do we want to give this up to God or not and I'm like yes let's give it
0: up yeah, I mean, well, it's kind of like, you know, in step three, like we learn that like we can't manage our life and like we're fired and God's going to be the new director. And so like, if I'm not allowing God into every aspect of my life, to, am I even living step three? So can I even say that I worked the steps, you know, um, and so I just think there's so like, I don't know, you're such a good example of somebody who like lives the program. not always no one's perfect I know I know I know I you know you are one of my best friends so I also know your defects Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but on the before I ask the wrap-up question I just want to ask you what has been some of the biggest either the biggest gift or gifts that recovery has given you
1: Hmm. The biggest gift that recovery has given me is a completely new life. That's like pretty much everything. The way I see life, the way I go through life, the way I interact with life, people, it's completely amazing. The way like when I used to see um, a sunny day before, like when I was out there getting drunk, like, it could have been like raining and stormy. Like it didn't make a difference. Like it was miserable, but now I see like a sunny day as simple as that. I see a sunny day. I'm like, I could go out and like walk a dog or like, I know it sounds simple. It sounds trite, but like it's it's so beautiful that like I can experience life the way that like I couldn't before. I was confined, I was in a prison of alcoholism and alcohol told me what to do. And now it doesn't have to. It's it's really cool.
0: So amazing. Well, before I ask the wrap-up question, I just want to say that this has been so wonderful. I just think that your heart is so big and you are so inspiring. I mean, I'm just Feeling, I'm just completely inspired by you and I know that other people will too who listen to this but the wrap-up question is if you could leave us with one takeaway either for the women getting sober staying sober whatever the case may be like if you don't hear anything I say hear this what's the one thing you want to leave us with today
1: don't leave before
0: the miracle happens (laughs) awesome Awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you everybody for listening. Again, if you've liked anything, if you've heard anything, please um, leave us a review, share with your friends. Um, In this episode, we did talk about, you know, one of Lauren's sponsors who also sponsored me, who is um, really important in both of our recovery. Her name is Erica B. You can find her episode in this season, which is also really good. And then we also talked about Don W. His who is one of our very, very early episodes in season one. If you want to also check those out, um, Lauren, I love you so much.
1: I love you. Thank you for having me ladies. This podcast is from the Magdalene house, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenhouse.org.